This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown coming to you on AMI-tv. I'm Alex Smythe. Veterans often struggle to find jobs once they leave the armed forces. Government committees have studied this topic for years. Another report was released last month that contained several recommendations for a veteran's employment strategy. Megan Gilmore reported on this for Canadian Affairs, and she has more on this topic and joins me now. Hello, Megan. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Alex, how are you? I'm not too bad. So, Megan, let's dive into this topic. What's the problem that a veteran's employment strategy is looking to solve? Sure. So, obviously, from even the the wording of of the strategy, like we're helping veterans find employment after they leave uh, the forces. But it's not enough just that somebody has a job, that they're getting a paycheck from work. One of the things that this report really highlighted is that veterans often just struggle to find meaningful jobs after they leave the forces. So the House of Commons Standing Committee on Veterans Affairs uh, released uh, recommendations uh, late last month that were aimed at creating a strategy for a veteran's employment for veterans employment. And according to this report, 8,500 people lead the armed forces each year. And of those 8,500 people, about half, so like a little over 4,000, are trying to find employment after they leave. Um, and the report goes on further to say that veterans actually have a lawyer, uh, sorry, a lower unemployment rate than uh, non-veterans, uh, than, than civilians. Uh, so they are employed, but... They did say that they are more likely to say that they're not employed to their full potential and that more than half change employers during the first three years after they leave the military. So it's um, it's not just getting veterans jobs, it's getting them jobs that they can remain in, that they'll say meet their full potential uh, that they have as workers. And why is it so difficult for veterans to find that meaningful work that they find satisfying? Right. So it, it largely has to do, uh, some people would describe it as a clash of cultures. So I spoke to Doug Allen, who was in the infantry for 20 years. He's now out in Halifax and does like, like he works uh, with uh, people recovering from trauma or he works to help train uh, those who are working with first responders and military members. Uh, but he talked about how there's this disconnect between how the military and how common corporate Canada talks about things like leadership. You know, um, there's just a different understanding of what, what that means. And that the, for somebody like himself, he had decades of experience in the military doing high level leadership jobs where the stakes are literally life and death. But then when you leave the military and you're looking for a job um, that those years of experience often aren't recognized by employers. So it's like you're starting back at the beginning 
when you've already had decades of management experience and that's not often recognized. Uh, there's often like a feeling that the military has its own language and culture and that is not necessarily something that easily translates into corporate Canada. So that that's one of the reasons, just like this disconnect and like um, some people, some other people I spoke to will talk about uh, like urban myths that uh, veterans may not always understand what it means to work in the corporate civilian world, but also employers in the corporate civilian world have misconceptions about veterans. Uh, so um, that those are some of the overall issues that really attribute, attribute to it. I'm curious, how does disability uh, play a role in, in this issue that veterans are facing as well? Sure. So I think actually, uh, first of all, the conversation of, of veterans and how we care for veterans is actually key to understanding disability organization in Canada, right? Like, so classic example that people are likely familiar with on AMI, the CNIB was started out of a need to help veterans who've been wounded in the war, right? So um, I think we may often separate these two conversations, but they're also, they're always, they've always been very linked intrinsically together. So obviously um, a lot of veterans do sustain uh, mental or physical disabilities uh, during their work. And part of the report looked at veterans who especially struggle to find employment after they leave the forces. And that includes those who are medically discharged. And also 10% of veterans report being unable to find a job in their first year of release because of a disability. So a disability actually is a big, big part of this conversation. And there's some recommendations in this report that relate to that. But uh, when it comes to disabled veterans finding employment, then we're starting, you know, to look at things that we've talked about in other segments, just about inclusive uh, workplace environments in general. Well, you, you teased it there. So what were some of the recommendations that were found in this report? Sure. So one of them is that there needs to be research to understand why some veterans struggle more with finding employment than others. So um, it's pretty uh, commonly understood that like women who are veterans will struggle to find employment, uh, people who fought in combat zones, uh, people who are medically released, uh, which is the language of, of the military there, um, to they often struggle to find employment, but there actually just needs to be more research done to understand more about who these individuals are and why they're struggling. Uh, there's a whole bunch of recommendations. Some of them are things like the, that Veteran Affairs set up a platform where veterans can contact employers directly. Um, there's a lot about reviewing the many programs that Veterans Affairs has to help uh, military members transition out of the military and into life as a veteran. Uh, but there's uh, many, many different projects, programs, Alex, and they're all a little different. And for example, there's ones that have to do with helping uh, pay for your education, but you can only you're only eligible for that program if you've completed X number of years of service, which means that a whole group of people are not eligible and they may have sustained injuries. So uh, there's there's calls to adjust eligibility criteria for certain programs to make them more inclusive of more veterans. And then there's also uh, just practically about getting people more jobs. Uh, the public service can be a place 
where veterans and their families uh, receive employment. Veterans are theoretically given preferential uh, treatment and in hiring, it's, it's a point up for them. But there's still not a lot of veterans who are actually working in Veterans Affairs, which is interesting. So uh, there's recommendations there that Veterans Affairs Canada set targets for hiring veterans as well as their spouses. Now, there are also plenty of people and organizations who are working to, to help veterans find employment. And you spoke to someone who is in that industry. What did they tell you? Yeah, so I spoke to a few people who work in, in this. Um, and uh, for example, if you talk to uh, the city of Ottawa has a veterans task force here. And if you talk to people who are involved in that, they'll say, really what they do is they work as a catalyst. Uh, they help employers and veterans find each other and learn how to talk to each other and dispel some of these quote unquote urban myths that we were talking about earlier. So a lot of organizations, that's really what they're doing. They're just helping veterans and potential employers understand each other better and, and know what the other needs. I also spoke to an organization called Helmets to Hard Hats, and they help veterans find jobs within the unionized construction industry. Uh, so they'll talk about how, you know, veterans are used to a structure and working on a team and unionized construction jobs have that. You're working, you know, they call it the, the, that brotherhood of skilled workers who have that shared common focus. So that can be really helpful. And, and it's also uh, if you're in a unionized construction environment, there's likely higher pay than, than if you were elsewhere. So you're really trying to find jobs that can be second careers. One of the, the women I spoke to, Eleanor Taylor from uh, True Patriot Love Foundation, she's a veteran herself, and she'll say, you know, veterans don't want charity. And it would, uh, we have the thousands of men and women in this country that we as taxpayers have spent so much money in their careers and their development while they are in the armed forces. It is good for us, both financially, but also just as a society, if we make sure that when they leave the forces, however or why they, no matter how they did it, that they have access to good second jobs once they're out in the civilian life. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. And um, Megan, thank you so much for bringing this topic forward. But before we let you go, the last time you were on, you were talking about some of the, the work you do, you were actually uh, um, kind of going to Phoenix to an accept a journalism award. First off, congratulations mm -hmm. on that. Thank you. But were there any highlights from your, your trip down to Phoenix? Okay, so um, yeah, like you said, um, last week I went down to Arizona State University to accept an award from the National Center on Disability and Journalism. Um, I met Amanda Morris, who was the New York Times first disability fellow. Um, and I, I know we've referred to her often on AMI. So that was really cool. Had a bit of a you know low-key celebrity moment. She was pretty excited that I knew who she was. Uh, but Thursday morning, I flew out and uh, Alex, we had snow and ice in Ottawa mm -hmm. and my plane needed to de-ice and we were very much delayed and I almost missed my connecting flight. And I was terrified. I was like, if I miss this award ceremony because there was snow in Canada, I have fulfilled every stereotype of this country. <laughs> like this is, I'm just, I'm just reinforcing this. Yeah, yeah. Um, thankfully, I made it. It was good. Had some great Mexican food. Highly appreciated. Um, I did sign up for a hot air balloon ride the day I was there. Okay. Um, but then my balloon had some technical difficulties and could not leave the ground. So. I have pictures of me with lots of hot air balloons, just not a picture of me 
and an actual hot air balloon. But maybe next time. Maybe next time. And I, I got to like you know go to a concert at the Desert Botanical Gardens. But you definitely enjoyed some warmer, warmer weather. So you're you're saying that any form of air transportation on this trip was impacted for you. You weren't having very much luck in trying to get up into the air. Yeah, well, now that you put it that way, Alex, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess, like, I don't think there were too many hassles with the flight back. Um, yeah, you know, I, I learned about how different airlines approach disability accommodations, which is always, you know, a good thing to know. Um, I'm now at the point, though, because I've flown so much that it's, and like, most of the flight attendants I have are very good. But there's kind of, like, this moment where I'm like, I actually know what you're supposed to be telling me right now. Like, let me give you the script. Mm-hmm. that you are supposed to be reading me at this moment. Let yeah. Help you do your job. Yeah, exactly. Well, and that and that's it. It's you you be kind of you you identify okay, where where's the the baseline? What's supposed to be done in this moment? You you become yeah. so familiar because you travel so often and then it's like when when different uh airlines or companies are meeting that or not meeting that, you kind of become a very aware of that. Megan Thank you so much. I'm glad to hear that you did make it to your (laughs) award ceremony on time and you were able to accept it. Hopefully the next time we get together, there's going to be less inventful um, uh, stories to share on on travel. But have yourself a wonderful day. Thank you. And when I finally make it in a hot air balloon, I will let you know. Okay, sounds good. That is Megan Gilmore with a, a accessibility report. In 60 seconds, Elizabeth Moeller shares the weather story of the day. But first, here's Canadian press reporter Karen Rebo with your morning business minute. Canada's main stock index ticked higher yesterday, led by strength in tech and energy stocks. Toronto's TSX index gained 54 points to close at 19,709. New York's Dow Jones average also added 54 points, and the Nasdaq lost 30. In Tokyo this morning, the Nikkei index gained 110 points, and our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 72.36 cents U.S. Asian shares traded mostly higher today ahead of potentially market-moving developments. China's leader Xi Jinping is set to meet with U.S. President Joe Biden on the sidelines of a Pacific Rim summit in California this week. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau will travel to San Francisco tomorrow to attend the APEC summit through until Friday. And the face of King Charles is about to grace Canadian coins. The Royal Canadian Mint in Winnipeg is set today to showcase its design of the king that will appear on one side of all its new coins, replacing the current image of the late Queen Elizabeth. From the Canadian Press Business, Desk. I'm Karen Rebo. It's now time to check in with the weather story of the day with Elizabeth Moeller. Elizabeth, you want to kind of follow up on something Megan was talking about. She was talking mm-hmm. about ice and snow in Ontario. Mm-hmm. You want to look and explore snow in Ontario and the GTA, is that correct? I do. I'm sensing a theme. Yes, absolutely. Winter is almost here in the GTA. And we're expecting the first big snowfall coming very soon. If we look back at the past weather and we study some upcoming patterns, it might give us clues about when exactly this snowfall will happen. And even though some parts of southern Ontario had some pretty big snow earlier in this month, and we talked about that around Halloween time, the GTA hasn't really had a major snowfall yet. But don't worry, it's likely not too far away. 
we're wondering when exactly it will happen. And this week, though, we can rule out for significant snow. The weather will be mild for most of this week, thanks in part to that storm that we talked about yesterday in British Columbia which is affecting the jet streams. And as we get closer to the end of November, keep an eye on the cold air from Siberia, or perhaps keep a feel out for that cold air. It will move into Western Canada first and then try to head east. And while it may not seem like a big deal, dropping temperatures can make it challenging for some places in Ontario to get above that freezing mark. And even though the storm track might be a bit too north for snow in the GTA initially, there's still a chance of winter weather towards the end of the month. So it's a good idea to keep those winter clothes and those snow clearing tools ready and willing to go. So you're saying this uh, nice stretch of warm weather we're currently yeah. enjoying is not set to last Enjoy very it while it lasts. Yeah. Enjoy it while it lasts. I also was on a plane last week with some bad weather. Not snow, but, <laughs> but rain. So maybe there's something in the air, quite literally. Quite literally in the air. Elizabeth, thank you so much. We'll you're check welcome. in with you later on in the show for the quiz. But coming up next... The Ontario Northland train is becoming more accessible. Community reporter Dorothy McNaughton in Sault Ste. Marie gives you an update on the progress. You're watching Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.